here. Again, we'll be reading from Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. We've had some recent scripture readers who have had to read an entire chapter of Numbers. And right now they're thinking, why didn't I get Noelin's passage? <laughs> but here we are. Um, so it's good to be back with you guys. If you're new, uh, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. And we are starting this year uh, covering the topic of formation. So this is our focus for 2024. We talked about it at the member gathering in December, and we introduced it last week. And so if you missed last week, I don't say this often, but I really do encourage you guys to listen to it because it covers such key groundwork for the entire year. And with a topic like formation, there's so much possibility for potential, but like anything good, also a lot of potential for misunderstanding. And so uh, formation is... Simply put, it's the process by which we grow in our ability to give and receive love in relation to God and other people. Or put more succinctly, it's the way that we become like Jesus. And one way to think about it is this. So I came across a quote by the late author Dallas Willard, and he wrote this, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said, it seems as if we want the life of Jesus— without the lifestyle of Jesus. And this is a, this is a key insight. And so just, just to think about it, so when you look at Jesus' life, he was so attentive to God and people. In high-pressure situations, he had a remarkable ability to remain calm and wise. He worked hard, but he wasn't a workaholic. He recreated all the time. He irritated uptight people because he was always reclining at table, eating and drinking. He never held a grudge, and he loved his friends and his enemies literally to his final breath. And even if you're not a Christian, I I don't think there's anyone in this room who who wouldn't say, "I, I want a beautiful life like that. But the thing is, we can't expect to have the kind of life Jesus had and become the kind of person that he is without living the life he did. So for example, if we have the same addiction to technology and career as the world. If we have the same spending habits and uh, definition of success as the world, if we have the same morning and evening routines as the world, we're probably not going to end up to be the type of very unique and beautiful person that, that Jesus was, right? And so what formation is, and what we're looking at this year is, what are the practices that we can do to help us become more like Jesus? Now, so to be clear, the spiritual practices— So things like Sabbath keeping, prayer, scripture, life together, and and, and all of the above. Hear this. They they are never the means by which you get God to love you. Okay, depending on your family or church background, that may be how you view reading the Bible or praying or going to church like this, so God will be okay with me. That's every other type of religion. It's not the gospel. Right, so in the gospel, as soon as you trust Jesus, you are securely and permanently in his family. What the practices do is they help open us up to more subjectively and tangibly experience God's love so that it makes a real material difference in our lives. And in turn, it makes us into people of love in in our real relationships. And so if last week was the intro into formation spiritual practices, today we're looking at the first practice we're going to focus on for the next eight to 12 weeks as a church, and that is Sabbath. Sabbath is a 24-hour period that you set aside to stop, rest, delight, and worship. 
And as I think about my own story uh, and Sabbath in particular, the moment that stands out is it was a few years ago and uh, I met with our elders and I confessed to them that I just, I noticed I was becoming like pretty short-tempered with my family. And in general, I noticed I was just much more distracted and less compassionate toward people in general. So I'm just confessing this to them. And like, I don't like the person I'm becoming, the trajectory I'm on. And one of them asked, like, what's your, give, give me a sense of your weekly schedule, right? Like when you work and like how you work and all this stuff. So I, so I describe it. And then an elder asks, he goes, oh, where's, where's the Sabbath in there? And I go, what? You know, like that trusty, tried and true, what, stall tactic, yeah, okay, like to give me time to get together my justification mechanism, what? And you know, you're a pastor at the Sabbath, and I was like, uh, yeah, that's not really in there. And I mean, one of the best things that my and our elders have done for me is they made it non-negotiable. Like if you're going to continue, I mean, yeah, as a pastor, but even just as a husband and father, like you need to incorporate this into your weekly, into your weekly rhythm. It's one of the best things they've done for me and the people affected by me. And so while I realize it's probably crazy to stand here with a straight face and talk about Sabbath keeping when we're literally 13 minutes from the Washington Monument, because it's just like part of our culture. I, I hope you begin to see it how I'm beginning to see it, which is Sabbath is a, it's a gift. It is a gift from God. And so that's, that's the main, that's the main idea for today as we look at this. And so we'll just look at it under two headings, looking at how Sabbath is a gift. And so first let's look at what's the biblical basis for Sabbath. And then number two, right, as we think about formation, okay, so how does Sabbath form us as we practice it? So first, what's the biblical basis for Sabbath? And then number two, how does Sabbath form us as we practice it? And we're starting with the biblical basis. Uh, one, because I mean, anything we do, we should ask, like, what is the biblical basis for this, either, you know, clear or implied from Scripture? But number two, as soon as I say the word Sabbath in a, a room like this, there are a number of possible responses. So one is a big smile and surprise, and you mean to tell me that setting aside work for a day and getting around a table laughing with friends and good drink and food is, can be just as worshipful to God as singing hymns and fasting? Where has this been my whole life? Sign me up. And yes, it can be as worshipful as those things. However, for others of you, you may have grown up in a home that practiced Sabbath, but it was all about restriction. Can I? No. Can I? No. Can, can I just play outside? No, it's the Sabbath, right? Like this, this is the thing. Okay, these, you, may, you, be, you may be here who have who grown up in a house like that. Or number three, you're thinking, you know, maybe you are a shift worker or a nurse or a parent or a single parent of young kids, or you know someone who is... And you hear setting aside 24 hours to just rest, delight, and worship. And you're thinking, like, this kind of sounds like a practice for privileged white-collar workers who can create their own schedule. Or maybe people without kids who, if they want, yeah, they can sleep in on Saturday and then go to brunch and then sp spend the next five hours on the sofa drinking a single-origin pour-over and talking about it with their hipster friends if they want. But what about, what about me? Or what about this person I know. And so let, let's look at not what, what does Steve say Sabbath is or the basis for it or what a popular teacher says, okay, why and how we Sabbath, but let's look at what has God revealed to us about why he gives us Sabbath. And yeah, you heard the scripture reading uh, in the creation account in Genesis 2, and it's noteworthy you can't get past the first page of the Bible until you see Sabbath. And so this is the creation account. We're on the first six days, right? God creates night and day, the land, he creates human beings. And then on the seventh day, God rests. God Sabbaths. 
And scholars point out uh, that the artistic structure of the creation account highlights the Sabbath day in particular. So as you're reading through the, the creation account, what you'll notice is you'll see, okay, there was evening and morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day. Day one, day two, day three, they're only mentioned one time each. And then you get to the seventh day, and the seventh day is mentioned three times. So verse two, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested. And that doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize that Genesis, just like all of scripture, was written to be heard, not read. Okay, this is an oral-based culture. And so here's a, here's a point that I'm drawing from Tyler Staten, who gave a great teaching on this and informed a lot of the sermon. He, he describes it like this. If Genesis 1 and 2 is a song, Sabbath or day 7 is the chorus. Okay, so if creation account is a song, Sabbath is the chorus. And think about a chorus, right? So if I just start, I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a great singer, right? Because the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, hate, hate. Baby, I'm just going to... Yes, shake, 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 right? I first heard that song nine years ago. I don't remember, sorry, Taylor Swift fans, I don't remember the, the verses, but I, I do remember the chorus. I know some of you in here like know the whole thing, like word by word, but wait, when an artist writes a song, the chorus is typically the thing they want you to remember, right, or, or the main point that they're communicating, and so is God's inspiring the author of Genesis to talk about how he created the world, and the main thing he wants you to see and to hear and to remember is that he rested on a Sabbath day, and he has created a Sabbath day for rest and delight. This tells you something about God, and it tells you about what he wants for you, not just in the life to come, but in the here and now. It's an incredible God we serve. Okay, so we see this right away in the creation account, and then you move on to the Ten Commandments. So here in Exodus chapter 20, God has liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He gives the Ten Commandments, and in verse 8, it's the fourth commandment. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then a little bit later, four in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. So the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And as I heard one author put it, the Sabbath seems to be the only commandment that we brag about breaking. And so God says, keep the Sabbath, and he gives a reason for it, which is interesting because this isn't necessarily so for the, all the other commandments. Why keep Sabbath? And he says in verse 11, for God rested on the seventh day. So the reason given here for Sabbath is imitation. Because God rested, so we rest. And this is eye-opening when you think about it because if we are made in God's image, and we are, when we don't rest, it deforms us. We actually become less human. But when we rest, we become more human. We're, we're returning to the way things are meant to be. You could say you become more your true self when you rest. Okay, so that's what we see in the Ten Commandments. And then you continue, and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is now 40 years later, and the Ten Commandments are given again, right before the Israelites are about to enter the Promised Land. And again, we have the Sabbath command. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, he says, yet again, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But then now he gives a, a new reason, right? So not imitation, but in verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
So if in Exodus the reason for Sabbath was imitation, now we see another reason for Sabbath is liberation. Okay, so God's saying in Egypt you were slaves for 400 years. That's longer than our country, America, has been a nation. Okay, and your, your whole identity was defined by how efficient you were and how much you produced. And I've now freed you from that. And so the implications are kind of a, offensive, but God's saying if, if you can't take a day to stop producing, accomplishing, working, like if you can't just avoid just, just sending that one email, okay, just tweaking that one thing, you're a slave. Okay, you're not free. It might be an external pharaoh, right? A boss, other people, a system you're a part of, or just that internal pharaoh that says you can't stop. So he gives you Sabbath to exercise freedom as one who's loved by God. And, and not just freedom, but also notice it's a justice issue. So he says, not just you, but your male servant and your female servant must rest as well. So God's saying, in a community loved by me, there's no hierarchy, right? So from the rich to the poor, from the CEO in Silicon Valley to the janitor who cleans that CEO's floors, everybody gets a day off. To remember, we're all on equal footing, as people made in the image of God. Okay, so Sabbath, it's, it's a, a justice issue for the world. And then we continue in the life of Jesus, and you say, well, that's just Old Testament. Okay, and then you get to Jesus in the New Testament, and all the evidence points to the fact that Jesus regularly kept, kept the Sabbath. He was raised in a Jewish family. He went to church every single Sabbath. And as he entered into his ministry, when you notice the like all the encounters and uh, manufactured emergencies that the Pharisees created with, with Jesus. On the Sabbath, what, he was always healing people. Okay, like he chose that miracle to do on the Sabbath, which shows that Jesus is trying to communicate that the Sabbath is about renewal and restoration. And then he gets an argument with uh, the religious leaders about the Sabbath, and he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, so man wasn't made for Sabbath. So you guys have created all these rules, all these do, do's and don'ts to keep people down on the Sabbath. But Sabbath was made for me. It is a gift given to you by God to, to be free, to have joy. And we could keep going into the rest of the New Testament and into the life to come, but I won't because we have to move on to the practical implications. But what we see here is from the first page of Scripture all the way into the New Testament. Sabbath is not something for the privileged, okay? It's, it's not a self-care plan for the wealthy. Sabbath is... It, it, it's, it's how we image God in our rest and delight. It's how we experience freedom from, from slavery, the need to produce and to achieve. It's a justice plan for the world. And it's how we experience renewal and we give renewal to other people. And so, so I hope you're, you know, even if you feel like, okay, I, I don't even know how to begin doing this, you know, for ABC reasons, right? You have a lot of resistance. Hopefully you begin to catch a, a vision for the, the very clear, and not just clear, but the beautiful why for Sabbath. And so now let's look at, okay, as we begin to practice this, and just so by the way, for those of you who are very, okay, it's so like, what do I do? How do I do it? Today's the, the principle and the, the theory and the why of Sabbath. Next week, we're going to get very much into the nuts and bolts of, okay, how do we actually practice this, and depending on where you're at in your season of life, okay? But now let's look at how to, okay, we're talking about formation. How do we become people of love and experience God through these practices? So let's think about a few ways that Sabbath forms us. And we open ourselves for God to change us as we practice Sabbath and take a day, right, to stop, rest, delight, and worship. And the first is, is we think about it in relationship to our work. I, I think it's safe to say that very 
if, if you do have a healthy relationship with your work, like fully, please mentor me. Okay, but I don't know that any of us have a fully healthy view and, and re- relationship to work. So on the one hand, we divinize work. We, we look to it to give us the things that only God, the real God, can give. So we look to it for significance. Okay, I know I'm somebody. Or you get an outsized dopamine hit when somebody finds out you have achieved something or you run in particular circles. Okay, or this is who you work for. Okay, so we look to it for significance or we look to it for security. Like, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to have enough money. I'm not going to be able to buy the things that I want to buy unless I keep working. And so, and we're all affected by this in the DMV culture. It's just, we have to have the sobriety and the honesty to admit this, that we have a real, in some way, have a really hard time pushing the stop button because we've divinized our need to produce in some way. And here's how the priest and theologian uh, Ronald Rollheiser put it when he's talking about Sabbath and its relationship to, to work. He says, With most addictions, we're sent off to a clinic. But if we are addicted to our work, we're generally admired for our disease. <laughs> like that, that hits home. And so Sabbath, it's, it's the treatment for our addiction to making something that should never be God, God. But beyond that, talking about how these practices always lead us into being people of love, keeping Sabbath helps us love people in our lives. And um, I came across a quote in the book Pops. It's on fatherhood written by uh, Michael Chabon. He's a Pulitzer Prize author. And so his livelihood depends on him writing good books. And here's what, here's what he writes as he's talking about fatherhood, and he, but he also feels a lot of pressure to, to work really hard. He says, if none of my books turn out to be among that bright remnant because I allowed my children to steal my time, I'm all right with that. Once they're written, my books, unlike my children, hold no wonder for me. No mystery resides in them. Unlike my children, my books are cruelly unforgiving of my weaknesses. Most of all, my books, unlike my children, do not love me back. And I was cut to the heart when I read this because like the problem with not being able to stop is you're entrusting to something that can't love you back. You're giving your identity, you're giving your energy into something that's fundamentally incapable of love. And not just receiving it, but giving it. I mean, how many, either you or you know somebody who the, the parent in the home was absent for most of your life because that parent was addicted to their work or their need to produce. Okay, we can't be good friends. We can't be good brothers and sisters in the church when we're addicted to our work. And so Sabbath, it's a gift to both free us from the addiction of producing, but also to, to free us to love and to receive love. Okay, and so if, if many of us divinize work, on the other hand, others of us or some of us in the same week, we go back and forth to demonizing work. Where at work, it's just like, yeah, I don't have a problem not getting my significance in work. It's just work is that sad part of my existence that I have to put up with, you know, to, to be able to pay the bills. And, you know, so, yeah, going to church, uh, giving food to a foster family, praying, that's the spiritual life, but not my nine to five. And the thing is, God doesn't seem to agree with that. Yes, going to church and giving food to a foster family is absolutely spiritual work. 
But, I mean, one, just when you look at the, at the life of Jesus, so much of his time, he went to church all the time, but so much of his time was spent in the secular working world, engaging with people. And then you can see that Jesus' spiritual imagination of what the kingdom of God is like isn't just grounded in the church, but it's grounded in ordinary working life. I, I believe there's only, only one, only one of his parables takes place within the walls of the church. The rest, it's he's describing working life, which shows that for Jesus— the spiritual life is not just going to church, but it's the accountant, okay, cranking out numbers in a spreadsheet. It's the college student wrapping yet another burrito at Chipotle. It's the teacher patiently teaching a group of grade schoolers. It's the mom getting on a knee yet again on a Wednesday morning to quiet another tantrum in the living room. Where do you think the spiritual life takes place? And so Sabbath is a gift because what it does is when we take a full day to rest— it enables us to then enter back into our work, not just to slog through it, but to work well and be people of love toward those who are impacted by our work. Okay, so Sabbath radically changes our relationship to work. Number two, uh, Sabbath changes our, rela- it's related, but it is distinct. It changes our relationship to accomplishment. So the author David Brooks, uh, he's written a number of books and writes for the New York Times. Uh, he wrote a article in the Times, I believe it was in 2015, called The Moral Bucket List. And in this book, he describes resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. So he says there's resume virtues, right? These are the skills that you bring to the marketplace. How smart you are, where you went to school, what did you achieve or accomplish in the last role that you had. And then you have your eulogy virtues, the virtues that you hope people say about you at your funeral. Were you kind and brave? Were you honest and playful? Were you capable of deep love? And I was thinking about this just a a few weeks ago in December. Kelsey's grandfather passed away. And in the funeral, there there was some space for people to stand up and talk about his life. And he he died in a a skilled care facility. And there was an old man who stood up. And he said, you know, a couple years ago, I, I moved in here. And I've lived a great life. And the house that I lived in, you know, had young kids running up and down on it all the time. And I, I finally, mo- I, you know, couldn't take care of myself anymore, so I moved here. And as that door closed on my first afternoon in, in my new apartment, I was by myself. I suddenly thought, oh my, I've made a big mistake. Like, I, I can't do this. And I felt so hopeless. And then a couple hours later, a knock came on the door, and it was uh, Kelsey's grandfather, Roger. And he, he just opened, he's like, hey, my name's Roger. I live across the, the hallway. I saw that you just moved in here, and just come over to my, come over to my place tomorrow morning. And I just you're up for it. I just want to get to know you. And he said then he, Roger, formed a deep friendship with him. He's like, he, he gave me hope, and now I've met other people here through him, and I actually feel like I can do this, and I can keep going, right? These are the kinds of things that we want people to say about us, but what David Brooks points out is, like, we know this, but our actions betray the fact that, like, in the day-to-day, we care more about the resume virtues, right? What we want people to compliment us on isn't, you're so steadfast, you're so gentle, It's we want to hear, you're so beautiful. You're so productive. Wow, you did that? And so Sabbath is, it's a gift because when you, when you take a day to accomplish nothing, (laughs) it reorients your heart toward what's most important, right? Receiving love from God and then out of that loving other people. There's a study in the Harvard uh, Business Review where they, they, they interviewed over 10,000, they interviewed about 10,000 middle schoolers and high schoolers. 
And they asked, do your parents care more that you're successful and happy? Which often we put those two together. Do your parents care more that you're successful and happy or that you're a caring person? And 80% of children said, my parents care more that I'm successful and happy. Which means four out of five of children in our country, probably more so in urban areas, but probably rural too, are getting the message from their parents that your resume values matter way more than your, than your eulogy virtues. Okay, so Sabbath, it, it, it's a gift to help us form what God's been telling us for ages, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And number three, Sabbath forms us not just with respect to work, accomplishment, okay, and what really matters, but it forms our relationship to God and therefore ourselves. Anytime our relationship with God heals, our relationship to ourself heals. And I think that, and many of you probably know this at least on a head level, but I think the reason why you and I have such a hard time just stopping and not producing, it's, it's, with few exceptions, it's not because your job is actually that demanding. It's not a logistical issue, it's a spiritual issue. Because when you begin to stop, or for some of you, if you even just think about taking a full day to stop, a siren just starts going off in your mind that says you can't do that. Okay, if you do that, okay, your, your workplace won't think you're enough. Your parents won't think you're enough. God may not think you're enough. Okay, you, you may not be able to take care of yourself. And so until that siren shuts off that I need to do more, I need to be more, it doesn't matter how many vacations you take or how long you watch streaming shows at night or on the weekends, you will never have that deep, settled rest that Jesus offers. And so this is why it's so awesome that God doesn't just command Sabbath, but what an awesome command, by the way, even if it caused some of us to bristle. He doesn't just command Sabbath. He gives us what we need in order to Sabbath. Okay, he gives us the rest we need. And we see this with Jesus because Jesus, when he is on the cross and in his final breaths, he says, it is finished, what he's saying is, my whole life I've been doing what you're trying to do, okay? To, to work hard enough to know that I'm lovable, okay? To know that God will love me, to know that I'm okay with me. I've lived that kind of life, and now dying on the cross for you and rising again, what I do is I take any reproach coming from yourself or other people, reproach you know that you deserve and reproach you don't even know that you deserve. Okay, I'm crucifying that. I'm putting it to death. And then with my life, I am giving you the, the right to rest that is owed somebody who created the world and has literally saved humanity. What kind of rest does that kind of person deserve? And so when you Sabbath, I love it. it it's a way that you can, with your body, experience the gospel. How so? Because when you take a day and you, you literally accomplish nothing, when you're not achieving or producing anything, God looks upon you and swells with an everlasting love. And that is the, the best kind of love to receive, right? Not because of what you're doing, not because of how even moral you are, but, but just because of who you are as my child. And so Sabbath is a gift.
where that reality begins to take root deeper into your heart. And so how do we, how do we begin to apply this? Again, next week we're going to go over a lot of nuts and bolts on beginning to practice this. Uh, what I just say for now is hopefully you're beginning to catch a vision, at least beginning to want to, to, to have it and to do it. And so what I want to, and this is always invitation, what I want to invite you guys into is just look ahead to this weekend, or if you're like me and you don't have a normal weekend, you can choose a, another day. And it depends on, you know, your unique sta- station, but choose, and if you're a parent, it goes without saying, like, you need to keep your children alive. So that's always going to be part of Sabbath for parents. Pick, pick a block of time. It might be two hours. It might be five hours. And only do something that gives you rest and delight. Take a walk. Look at birds and trees, which my kids have given me a newfound appreciation for. Light a candle and write a book. Okay, enjoy a delicious meal with a friend or friends. If you're suffering, maybe what Sabbath can look like for you is just, it's a, Sabbath is always a community project. Just find somebody who can hear you tell your story or who can cry with you and they can like kind of be that person of rest for you. And as for just that little bit of time, you only do something that gives you rest and, and delight. Know that God is looking at you and loving the fact that his child is receiving the gift he so badly wants to give you living as someone who's loved and free. Let's pray.